So we come to chapter 17 in the confession, which is called Of the Perseverance of the Saints. Uh, this is a very distinctly uh, Protestant and Reformed doctrine. The Papists did not like it because uh, they, could not, uh, they could not sell you things uh, out of fear uh, if, uh, if you were hoping in Christ uh, and knew that all whom he had saved would indeed persevere um, into the end and come into the fullness at last of their inheritance uh, in him. Uh, and so it's very distinctly uh, Protestant doctrine, very distinctly Reformed doctrine. Uh, there have been those who, uh, not recognizing that the work of salvation is one that God uh, does by grace from start to finish. Uh, you know, sometimes children, we can, uh, we can focus on the means and someone will ask you, uh, why are you a Christian? And you, you can say, and uh, it's not incorrect. It just doesn't go back far enough. Uh, you could say, well, I have Christian parents and uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I've been uh, a Christian since I was born. I've been a saint since I was born, which is exactly the way the Lord uh, talks about you. Uh, but even then, he's the one who put you in your home. He is the one who brought your parents to faith. He is the one who told your parents uh, what to do with you and, and gave them the means of grace. He is the one uh, who, who blessed to you the reading of his word and prayer and singing his word together day by day in the home and uh, preaching especially of his word week by week uh, in the public worship. He's the one who gave his spirit to make it so that you didn't just hear with your ears what the, what the servant of Christ was saying in the pulpit, but that your heart heard Christ himself. Jesus, God is the one who saves uh, in, uh, entirely by grace from start to finish. Uh, well, if you don't believe that, if you have this kind of uh, idea that everybody has the same ability and the same opportunity, uh, then you might think that you brought yourself uh, into this salvation, and you can bring yourself out of it. Uh, and the Wesleyans uh, and the Arminians, uh, they also don't believe this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, uh, in part uh, because they are afraid that if we, uh, if we believe this, that we won't want to be holy, that we will become uh, complacent and passive. Um, but praise God, uh, the doctrine is actually very useful for the one who has been saved and hates his sin and loves God uh, and the pursuit of holiness coming out of love for God and hatred for what is against him. But we have so much flesh remaining in us that it is marvelously encouraging that God is the one who has begun the work. God is the one who is doing the work and it shall certainly be completed if God is the one who is doing it. And so uh, the, the Wesleyans just don't understand what even the Bible teaches us, that it is a great motivator and help unto holiness to know that God began the work, God is doing it, and God will finish it. Uh, it's just um, not, not really uh, joking, but uh, I said to a brother right before the class uh, that this is really the doctrine of the perseverance of Christ uh, and the persistence of Christ in continuing and completing uh, that which he has intended and that which he has begun. What a precious 
doctrine. So I, I think what we'll do is I'll read the three articles that make up the chapter of the confession, uh, and then we will jump into uh, the scriptures. Of the perseverance of the saints, they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability, that means unchangeableness, un unmovableness, you can see the, the center of the word for motion in there, children. So don't be scared by the big words. Learn to use them. Um, words are very useful. Uh, it depends upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father. Nothing made him start loving you. Nothing can make him stop loving you. Uh, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from which, from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. Uh, so not only that they persevere, but that we can be certain of it. And then the third article. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. So yes, they persevere to the end, uh, but Scripture tells us um, the truth about what the Christian life is like. It is not uh, easy and uh, continually steady uh, growth and experience uh, of, uh, of that growth um, and enjoyment of God. So first then, they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, uh, and praise God is using the language of Ephesians 1 there, even though Ephesians 1 isn't given as a proof text, uh, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, uh, do you see what uh, he's just done there? God accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit. And so Father, Son, and, and Holy Ghost. Uh, the whole Bible is a book about our triune God. Salvation is all about our triune God. Uh, and here, even in the way they're wording it, you can see something that is the intention of God in himself, and now the action of God in time, which he created for this purpose. If Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the ones 
uh, uh, who are doing, if the, the true and living triune God is the one who is doing this, how can it ever be stopped? How can it be interrupted? How can it fail? It can't fail any more than God can fail. Can the Father stop loving his Son? Can the uh, Spirit ever stop carrying out uh, the will of God and the creation uh, which he has made and which he upholds and which he works? Of course not. You could almost end the chapter already. Uh, already you can hear how to, to deny or oppose this doctrine is actually a sort of a blasphemy, isn't it? It is to speak lightly of the living God who is the one who saves. Uh, and, uh, and praise God, then, uh, you can see how it works the other way as well. The more you learn the glory of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the more you love his praise, the more you know his power, uh, the, the more you trust his wisdom and his faithfulness, uh, the more certain you will be that this doctrine has to be true because it rests primarily upon who it is that is saving us and what he is like. So they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. And so the first proof text that we get uh, on this is John 10, verse 25 through 30. Uh, where did the, uh, the pastors of the Westminster Assembly, whom we call the Westminster Divines, uh, not because they practice divination, uh, but because they learn from God about God. That's what we mean when we say divines. Don't, uh, don't allow other uses of that word or words like it um, uh, to mess up for you. Where would they learn uh, to think about this doctrine? Uh, not uh, primarily in terms of, uh, of the mechanics of what happens first, uh, but first of all, to think of this doctrine primarily in terms of the persons of the Godhead uh, and of God himself. Where would they learn that? Well, it's, it's not just human cleverness. Uh, it is uh, divine revelation. They learn it from Scripture. So John 10, 25 through 30. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, notice the very careful wording there. Not just my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. So he doesn't just speak to us. He, because he knows us, gives us to recognize his voice. Isn't that a marvelous uh, uh, truth that our Lord Jesus tells us there? So uh, the reason we follow him is because he knew us 
And he is giving us eternal life, not just by speaking to us, but by giving us to know him. Now, if that's how it began, I give them eternal life, it can't end. So verse 28, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Well, in whose hand is the believer? Is, is the believer in Jesus's hand or is he in the father's hand? The answer is yes. Praise God. That's good math and even better theology or good logic. Uh, and this, of course, uh, gets, uh, gets Jesus an attempted murder. Uh, they attempt to murder him for this. Uh, I and my father are one. And the Jews uh, took up stones again to stone him, uh, etc. Uh, let me encourage uh, you children. I just noticed I read an extra verse. It's not on your sheet. Uh, the best place to read the Bible is in a Bible. Um, not on sheets, not even on a phone. Uh, as useful as it may be. And I used to travel around the world and, and teach. And you can't take a thousand books with you. Uh well, you can't take a thousand paper books with you. I understand convenience, but it's good to have a Bible, good to bring your Bible, good to use your Bible, because the preacher might go ahead and read verse 31, uh, and you want to be able to see everything in context. And if the Lord brings to your mind other scriptures that aren't on the sheet, you want to be able to flip and look and compare and, uh, and interpret the Word of God by the Word of God. But here... Uh, Jesus is saying, you know who I am. I am the God who knew you, uh, or at least in this way, he's talking about the electing knowledge, the electing love. Uh, I am the God who has loved and known all of my elect from before the world began. Uh, and so the reason they recognize my voice when I speak to them is because I already know them and I'm bringing them by my voice to know me. Uh, and bless God, uh, many of us have had that experience of our Lord Jesus himself, uh, where he, we realize as he brings us to faith and, and more and more as he grows us in faith, that he has always loved us. He is, he is God from all eternity, uh, and he is bringing us to know him who has known us in that love. Uh, and, uh, the certainty that this, uh, which began in eternity and then uh, occurs in time as uh, as he does this and uh, effectually calls uh, by uh, his spirit, uh, which we will get to, uh, the certainty that that must continue forever is as certain as the power of the Father and of the Son, the power of the living God. Who can snatch someone out of God's hand, out of the Father's hand or out of the Son's hand? Can a Christian snatch themselves out of Jesus' hand? Yes, I know your remaining sin is very powerful. And your doubts arise in your heart and frighten you with how real and serious they are. But is your remaining sin bigger than Jesus? Are your doubts more real, more strong, more serious than God the Father? All right, so 
wonderful to know who has begun uh, this work. And one of our one one of many of our favorite verses. Then it's Philippians one six, but we're going to take a contextual run at it by starting in verse three. Notice uh, uh, whom, uh, how he begins in verse three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Well, if the Philippians brought themselves to faith, uh, if it was by their, if the Philippian believers, uh, it, by the power of their free will, believed, why are we thanking God? Shouldn't we thank the Philippians for believing? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. Uh, they were needy. Yodia and Syntyche are still fighting and they need help. And they get called out in this letter. Uh, and surely Paul is praying that they would be reconciled. Uh, and yet, he makes his requests for them with joy. Why? Doesn't he know that there's remaining sin in Eodia and remaining sin in Syntyche uh, and, that, and that this is disrupting the peace and fellowship of the church? Well, yes, he does. But he knows that there is yet infinite grace in the God who has saved Eodia, uh, who has brought Syntyche to the faith, who has made them sisters in the Lord Jesus by his grace. And so this doctrine of perseverance, we can already see one application is we pray for growth. We pray for uh, overcoming sin. We pray for resolutions of problems between believers with joy because God is the bigger factor uh, in the equation. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, and of course, we have been making this point the whole time, but he finally makes it plain to them, says it clearly, plainly, being confident of this very thing. Where does the joy come from? Have you ever read the uh, or, or heard uh, or heard your pastor read or, or list the fruits of the Spirit, and it says love, joy. Now we're we're going to see how uh, one great fruit of the Spirit who makes us like the Father as He works out in us conformity uh, to the Son. We're going to see in uh, in the morning sermon, Lord willing, uh, the fruit of love. But one of the great fruits or one of the great aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in our life ought to be joy. Well, one of the reasons we lack that joy uh, is because we are not thinking theologically soundly in a way that supports confidence. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So it is the Lord who begins it, it is the Lord who finishes it, and the whole point of all of it is the glory of God in his Son. And he glorifies his Son in saving his people from start to finish. Uh, and so uh, 
you can rebuke me whenever I am discouraged and uh, and pray God with confidence that I will receive it well. Uh, we we you know I keep reading and hearing all these statistics about pastors who quit the ministry and uh, when you get together with pastors, you know they're often discouraged and um, could it be that the the man in the pulpit needs to uh, have a sturdy doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, uh, a sturdy confidence that God is the one who begins the work. God is the one who finishes the work. He has invested all of this in uh, in the glory uh, of His Son Jesus. That's what uh, that's what He is aiming at in His investment, uh, and He will not let it fail. Uh, and so. Uh, uh, again, uh, children, we want you to uh, to hear and know the the key things in the Christian life uh, and grow in them. Here's a key thing: that you would love the glory of Jesus like God loves the glory of Jesus, like the Father loves to glorify His Son, like the Spirit loves to bring about that glory. And the more that you do that by the Spirit, uh, the more you will realize that the God who loves his own glory and is saving you for his own glory uh, will not let you go, will not let you stumble, will not let you fall. Uh, and you will have better things to, uh, to live for and to love and uh, to do with your life than, than the rubbish which is competing uh, for your hearts. Well, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9 uh, is next. I Actually, I did not, I don't remember what the, um, what the original proof text uh, is here. But we'll, uh, we'll do verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Uh, there's so much there, we can't cover it all. But again, uh, who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and um, God for the glory of Jesus, uh, whose resurrection is the source of all of this life uh, that he applies to us. Uh, he is the one who begins it. He has begotten us again to living hope. Uh, and uh, that uh, the end for which he is, begins our spiritual life, gives us spiritual life in the first place, uh, is, is so sure uh, and undiminishable, uncorrupt, incorruptible to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, even if we don't read verse 5, you can already hear how impossible it is. That God would do that for his son, that God would begin the work, that God would be preserving this, uh, this inheritance, the display of the glory of God himself in 
his resurrected son, because no man can see God, but there is the God-man who is God. He's a divine person. But because he has a human nature, we will be able to see him. And if they beheld his glory who saw him in his humiliation, like John 1 says, how much more will we behold his glory in his exaltation? And that is never going to be diminished, and that is being reserved. Is it possible that God would reserve that for you, but not preserve you for that? And so you see the way verse 4 goes with verse 5. Uh, we often, I, I think, many of us uh, uh, have a great affection for and memory of verse 4. An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, it does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Well, bend your affection and, uh, and your memorization and the preciousness of this scripture into verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, remember the word salvation is much broader than justification. It's not just being made right with God. It's the whole of all that God um, delivers you unto, saves you unto, uh, as, we'll, uh, as we'll hear uh, not long from now, Lord willing, Lord sparing us in chapter 13 in the midweek sermons, uh, our salvation is closer to us now than when we first believed. So you know, stop living for rubbish, stop living for sin, uh, live by the life of him for the, for the glory of him who has redeemed you and who is bringing you uh, to that salvation. But uh, the incorruptibility of the inheritance is matched by the certainty that we are being kept. How? By the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. A couple of pages over. Oh, sorry. We need to get through verse 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that perishes. Okay, so the keptness of the faith reminds you that uh, that it's better than gold. Uh, uh, incidentally, uh, the fact that gold perishes reminds you that uh, this creation is not contiguous with the new creation, like some would have you uh, would have you believe that the genuineness of your faith, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Okay, if you have now, not having seen Jesus, those moments where the, the Lord restrains so much of your remaining sin and gives you such a knowledge of and affection for the Lord Jesus Christ that you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory just by the sight of faith, then most certainly God will give you not to see him only by faith, but also by sight, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Not that you can go fishing forever, not that you can have mansions, not that you can... Whatever nonsense people talk about in their flesh 
about the glory of glory. Now it's a new heavens and a new earth. We will be physical and we will be bodily just like he's been resurrected bodily and we're going to love him uh, with what we do absolutely. But the glory is Christ himself. The inheritance is Christ himself. He is the end of your faith. And many of us have had those moments in which the Lord stirs up our affection for the Lord Jesus uh, and often grieve that we don't have them more continually and more intensely. Uh, well, that is what God has saved you for, and that is how it ends. With you, by faith and sight, loving him perfectly, delighting in him fully, we can't even imagine what that will be like. But bless God that we cannot imagine that it, what it will be like. We may yet be certain that it will be because he is the one who has done this for his glory. Um, 2 Peter 1. Verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble for so or thus or in this way. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so remember uh, that uh, the Lord uses means. Uh, this is not saying that you may live any which way. You may live according to your pleasure, uh, and you will certainly go to heaven anyway because you said a prayer once and someone uh, filled out a sticker for you and slapped it in the cover of your Bible. No, the perseverance of the saints is a perseverance in saintliness. Uh, and so adding all of these things uh, uh, to our faith. So adding to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, those things here. This is the, the mechanism by which God who brought you to faith and God, by whose grace alone, you can add those things. It's not like God gives you the faith and then you add these things by yourself. No, this is, look at the, the language in verse 11. This is God supplying for you an entrance into that which most certainly must be yours. Uh, if, if we are not growing in, uh, in those things, if we are not adding those things which are added whenever God uh, whenever God saves someone by grace, whenever God gives them faith, then we ought to cry out, for we may be self-deceived. But yet there is still in God grace to give faith and grace to give growth. Uh, and so this isn't a, you can live however you want and still go to heaven. This is a God can save you, and God who begins saving you will not just bring you to the end, but he'll give you everything in between. He will graciously give you knowledge, virtue. Praise God. He will graciously give you self-control uh, in a culture that um, maybe lacks self-control in uh, new and amazing ways because we're so uh, good at indulging ourselves now. Uh, praise God. He gives that to his people. And then 1 John 3 seven through nine and uh, thank you for bearing with me a couple more moments so that we can uh, finish this section Lord willing first John 3 seven through nine very important that you remember 
that a believer does not have two natures. We've said this several times, especially when we're in Romans. We've said it a few times recently in Matthew 5. Uh, But a believer has a new nature that is in Jesus Christ, and a believer does have that which remains from his old nature. But he is no longer to identify with his sin. That's something else that is very important to be clear about uh, in our current culture moment, even within the church. So 1 John 3, 7-9. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Uh, In other words, the only way you came genuinely to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, not perfectly, but genuinely, uh, the the only way you come genuinely uh, to obey him out of love is if you have been made right with him. Justification precedes sanctification. But sanctification, genuine sanctification, is evidence of justification. No one grows in love to God without having been made right with God through Jesus Christ in the first place. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. So does that mean that you are of the devil when you sin? Well, you are actually doing things that are from the devil, that are from your former nature, that must be destroyed before you can enter glory. Without holiness, you will not see uh, the Lord. And so, yes, you hate uh, you hate uh, when you sin, uh, and you don't allow that to be who you are. You don't think of that as who you are. You think of that as an enemy. Wrong thoughts are enemy thoughts. Wrong words are enemy words. Wrong actions are enemy actions. You can't Uh, You can't coddle and love and wish that you could keep any sort of sin as a Christian because that is not you. And if it's you, then you're not a Christian. But praise God, the corollary. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Sin never comes from the new nature of a Christian. It doesn't come from your union with Christ. It doesn't come from the you who will be forever. Oh, it comes from within you, and you hate it, and you cry out, who will, wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body of this death? But just like the end of Romans 7, so also now, 1 John 3, 9, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has done what the law couldn't do, weakened by the flesh. He he fulfills the requirements of the law, the righteous requirements of the law, in those who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, whoever has been born of God does not not sin for his seed. God's seed uh, remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And one day, dear dear believer, there will be no remaining flesh. There will only be that you who has been born of God and doesn't sin. Uh, and you will be free forever. Those whom he justified, uh, he goes on to say uh, a few verses later from where we were uh, just quoting from Romans 8, he also glorified. It is... 
a future fact that is so certain that the apostle tells it to us in the past tense. Well, praise God by his grace. We hope next week uh, to begin with the second article in the chapter. Let's pray. Oh Lord, give us to know your glory, to love your glory, to pursue your glory. We thank you that you yourself do this and that you do it by uh, calling to yourself those whom you have loved out of our sin, even though we were by nature uh, children of wrath and dead in our trespasses. Uh, and we thank you and praise you for the resurrecting, uh, the resurrection life of Christ and the resurrecting work of your spirit who makes us alive even by virtue and from the power of Jesus and his resurrection. Give us a confidence that you who have begun this work will bring it to completion uh, so that we will delight to grow in grace, to grow in holiness, to kill sin, uh, and uh, that we will depend upon you, the triune God, as we devote ourselves uh, to doing so. Help us now as we come into your public worship. We pray that you would be glorified in it. We thank you that you have filled it with the means of your grace, that you would be glorified even by continuing this work. Lord, we pray for any among us who have not come to faith, especially any dear uh, covenant children who have not done so. Grant that today would be the day uh, that your spirit gives them uh, to believe into Christ uh, and to know their adoption and uh, their status, not just uh, as something external, but as a reality uh, within and forever that they have experienced and been given by your spirit in Christ. In his name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat>